Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. So Joe Biden, it turns out that he is too incompetent, too senile, too affected and riddled with Alzheimer's to stand trial for crimes he's committed or be charged with violations that he committed. However, it turns out he can run the country. We also saw Joe Biden try to come out after a special counsel report pointed out how senile he was and disproved that. And the press conference he gave was quite the disaster. We also had Tucker Carlson drop his long-awaited interview with Vladimir Putin. A lot of interesting stuff going on there. We're going to get to all of that. And joining me to talk about it is the Prudentialist, everyone's favorite uh, frog. Thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You know, I, I loved the contrast of, uh, you know, a, a two hour dissertation of, of history and nationalist narratives and then a guy that confuses the president of uh, Egypt for Mexico. It's a great time here in the United States. Yeah, that's a that's a powerful moment of pride. Uh, a man who had a photographic memory of his history prepared uh, to give to an interview and a man who could remember. Basic details about his son. Uh, but before we get into all that, guys, let's go ahead and hear from one of today's sponsors. Hey, guys, I need to tell you about today's sponsor, Ridge Runner. Clown World is getting more and more crazy, and you're looking for a saner way of life. And Ridge Runner Land in Appalachia is ready for you. There's no better time than today to move your family out of a blue state or city where crime, cost of living, and hostility towards morals, belief in God, and America is growing more and more unhinged each day. Ridge Runner picks pristine land in rural Appalachia with top-notch beauty, value, and location. Move to a Ridge Runner community and be surrounded by patriotic, ambitious Americans that have chosen to live in a setting where their children can run free, doors don't need to be locked, and natural beauty is abundant. If you have that pioneering spirit and you're ready to join Appalachia's rising future as you build yours, schedule a call today to learn more about Ridge Runner properties. Whether you work from home, hunt, fish, homestead, are looking to run livestock, or just to be in a community where your way of life is prized, Home Runner is ready to help you find the ideal property. With small acre lots starting at 35000 all the way up to large 100-acre holler farms well-priced at under 400000 Ridge Runner has options for anyone seeking a life piloted on the old ways in the bosom of America's traditional heartland. Visit www.ridgerunnerusa.com today. That's ridgerunnerusa.com. So we know that the, the two-tier justice system is wildly out of control of the United States. There is no rule of law. It's very clear that we we live in a state where friend is good, enemy is bad, and that is the only thing that matters when it comes to the application of our law code in the United States. We, we've talked about this many times before. Prudentialist would tell you he's not surprised, as, as is so often the case. However, this was a particularly egregious example here because, of course, we know that President Trump has been charged with the same thing that Joe Biden was charged with, which was the retention of documents, classified documents he's not supposed to hold on to, and sharing them with people who were not qualified to see them. And this is supposed to be the big violation. This is why they ended up raided, raiding Mar-a-Lago right before uh, the the uh, the midterms to make sure, you know, certainly not to have any impact on that election. Absolutely not. The FBI would never coordinate with a you know with presidential candidates or other political campaigns uh, during the midterms in order to you know uh, impact the outcome of elections. That that would be crazy. However, 
same charges. And Joe Biden, of course, he doesn't get his house raided. Some FBI agents just kind of come over and look at his basement, these kind of things. And so they appoint a special counsel. And the special counsel is supposed to figure out what's going on here. You know, is he is he liable for any of these things? Should he get the same kind of charges that uh, that Donald Trump do? And the amazing thing is that he says no, he's not going to give him the charges specifically because he's too senile. And if you put him before a jury, they would just say, "Oh, he's just a nice old man who forgot what he was doing." Yeah. So really, that's the big story that everyone's taking out of this. That this is a, this is a 388 page document. But of course, the big fun parts are right then and there that all of a sudden we have a president who has difficulty in person interviews, remembering when he was vice president, when he was around and when his son had uh, passed away and that had passed away in 2015 prior to him uh, announcing his run. Uh, for the White House or saying that that was the reason why he decided to in 2020 was because of uh, his son Bo's death. And so, yeah, he, he goes on to the stage and sort of responds to this. We find out from um, Mr. Uh, Paul Sperry, who works with Real Clear Investigations, that uh, special counsel Rob Hurd gave the White House a draft copy of his report last Saturday. So they've had basically a week. Um, the next day it was leaked to the press and portrayed as exonerating Biden. Um, he's had the report for almost a week and wasn't blindsided by its findings. They had already prepared a response. Um, the response that was given by the president of the United States did not help in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. Um, but I think the reason why this is not surprising or why I am so memed on to say that when I'm on your show, Oren, is because this was already the game plan to go with since the 2020 election. Uh, I referenced this on another show not too long ago, but there is a lovely op-ed from March of 2020 um, by Alex uh, Wagner of The Atlantic Magazine saying, Stay alive, Joe Biden. Democrats need little from the frontrunner beyond his corporeal presence. So, I mean, Democrats are okay if it is a weekended Bernie situation or weekended Biden situation. And that right now, all that Joe Biden hears is the caretaker's empty bliss beyond this world in the back of his head. Uh, because he's not the one running the show. Um, most presidents don't really get to run the show when there's a huge, large bureaucratic apparatus, you know, a total state, if you were. And we just kind of got more confirmation of what we've already known between the verbal slip-ups, the questions of a mental acuity, even during the Democratic primary in 2020, even Congressman, you know, Eric Swalwell was just like, you're too old, let someone else take the reins. And he's got his own baggage and problems. But even then, it's been not just the right criticizing him either. The day after this press conference, there's been everyone from Slate Magazine to The Guardian um, to numerous independent left-wing journalists that are saying this is not a good look, as they like to say. So it's uh, it's pretty darn clear that despite whatever differences there might be in our lovely world of anarcho-tyranny USA, um, the obvious has, again, been stated that the president has no clothes, the emperor has no clothes, and the president has no brain. Yeah, I want to get into all of that because the fact that the press conference happened at all is absolutely insane. And the fact that they had this document for a week beforehand, they were prepped, they were ready to go. They they should have known what their response was going to be. And this was their response. It has a lot of people asking, I think, an understandable question, and we'll get to that in a second. But they're, they're asking, was this all a fix? It was the fix in, where was this a plan to get rid of Biden? I'm going to ask your opinion about that. But before we do... Let's go ahead and take a look at the document in question because I want people to understand everything that we are talking about before we speculate on what it could all mean. So 
what Biden says or what the special counsel says right here, and this is the this is the juicy part everybody is talking about, he says Mr. Biden's memory also appeared to have significant limitations, both at the time we spoke uh, with I have no idea how to uh, pronounce that properly uh, in 2017, as evidenced by their recorded conversations and today as evidenced by his recorded interview with our office. Mr. Biden's recorded conversations from 2017 are often painfully slow, with Biden struggling to remember events and straining at times to read and relay his own notebook entries. In his interview, Mr. Biden's memory was worse. He did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term had ended, and forget, uh, forgetting on the second day of the interview when his term had begun. He also didn't remember within several years when his son Bo uh, had died. And his memory appeared to be hazy when describing the Afghan debate that he had want, that was once so important to him. So j just an amazing amount of, uh, of information that he has completely forgotten. And this is why the special counsel said, look, yeah, he committed this stuff. Like he obviously did these violations. He was vice president. He retained these after he left office. They're just sitting in his basement, sitting around in pretty much the same way that Trump had some things sitting around in Mar-a-Lago. The only real difference, you know, and they, oh, and their their you know information off Af on Afghanistan and on Iraq, but the only real difference is that uh, Biden is just kind of so inept, he's so senile, he has no ability to remember his kind of day to day life and even a you know few years significant events in his life like the death of his son. He can't remember any of these things, and so it's just not worth putting him on trial. Now, I think for a lot of people, you you would then say, okay, well. Obviously, this is a scenario the 25th Amendment was created for, right? This is this is the reason that you have this is to take somebody out of this situation. And when you have a president who's already installed under some pretty shaky circumstances, I mean, Time Magazine literally ran the article about how a secret cabal of people in, put him into the White House to save democracy. When you have all the questions surrounding Joe Biden's election, you would think that this would be a scenario in which you would want to save some level of credibility for the office of the presidency by taking kind of formal steps to remove him or, or take him off the ballot, at, at least at, at some level, because obviously Joe Biden is not running the country. Like you said, we know this is true of many presidents. You know, Donald Trump, obviously, in many cases, was not running the country, even if, when he tried to. It was very clear he didn't have the executive powers he was supposed to have under the Constitution. But you would think this would be some kind of constitutional crisis, right? The entire country can see that this guy is completely unable to tie his shoes. And he's obviously not the president, even though he was installed as the president after a shaky election. This is kind of all the makings of a extreme constitutional crisis, continuity in government. And it just doesn't seem to be triggering any of this stuff. Yeah, it's like the uh, sort of all the memes that came out in the midst of all of the congressional hearings over unidentified, you know, flying objects, you know, they're like, oh, Congress just said aliens are real. Why are you surprised? Like, I don't know, man, it's been it's been a rough it's been a rough patch, it's been a rough week. It's a Tuesday, you know. Yeah. And so to see uh, people sort of just sort of shrug this off as in, well, we already knew this or that this is so that no one's surprise is. I mean, really concerning because obviously the, the party doesn't care. But historically, there have been multiple instances where we've sort of had 
um, people who are, for a lack of a better word, somewhat invalid holding office when they probably are non-compost mentis in the first place, uh, whether that be, and of course, some of this is pre-25th Amendment, obviously, um, you know, we, we can take a look at Woodrow Wilson, for example, who had a stroke into his second term, and clearly his wife basically was running the White House, and so really the first female president has already been achieved in America to some extent. Uh, in the same way that, uh, you know, we had FDR and having some right. issues there with respects to his health and other problems that presidents have had that they've kept under wraps. So many people have speculated Reagan as well. Right? Well, Reagan has had a definitely more obvious example, I think, in some of his speech and his attitudes towards the end of his second term. Uh, and of course, you know, President Kennedy, while not definitely had his mental faculties about him, had certain medical issues as well. So, I mean, there's some tradition for this, not to say that that's a great excuse, but even the way the language that you're using, right, he was installed, he was put in, there was a quote unquote fortified election. It does illustrate that we are long past any sort of questions about constitutional crises, because uh, it seems that America at this point in time, when encountering a constitutional crisis, would rather sweep it under the rug and watch football the next Sunday than address the fact that there are serious governmental issues at stake. And I mean, again, it raises the, the important question about the behemoth of our administrative and bureaucratized systems of government, especially in the executive branch, where people just do their job and keep things afloat and manage it. And for a guy who has probably a small boardroom of maybe 20 neurons left that are trying to make decisions, quote unquote, as the president of the United States, it is somewhat impressive. I have to give like, the deep state credit here, which I know it's crazy. I'm saying that, right? But like, you're you're basically fighting two or three wars abroad, and you're trying to keep things afloat at home while rewarding your friends and punishing your enemies, all while with like a really nice flex, showing off that you can run a basically a, a, a mentally, uh, you know, absent-minded man. I'm trying really hard not to say anything too mean, um, and basically run the country like that's impressive and that's a huge behemoth that whoever wants to take over or do regime change has to come to terms with that's what you're up against and that's something to keep in mind the other thing that the report had that was particularly interesting was about of course there was the issue of a ghost writer um who had helped write the memoirs promise me dad and promises to keep uh, Zwanitzer is his last name. That's the how they refer to him at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he had given in interviews with the Justice Department, um, but the interviews that contained any sort of potential aspects of classified information, those audio interviews with the President of the United States or with Joe Biden were deleted. And then he had asked, when investigators asked him if he had deleted the recordings because of the special counsel's investigation, Zwanitzer had replied he was aware that there was an investigation when he deleted the recordings and continued, quote, I am not going to say how much was this as a percentage of it was my motivation, end quote. So that's crazy. Um because he basically just said, I'm not explaining further. It, you know, I'm not going to go any further into that. But yes, because of the investigation, I, I, did I probably did that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And he's not being charged with anything. And here we are. I, I, I know at some point I should stop being surprised or confused. or but, but I, I do at moments feel like I'm taking crazy pills because I talk to or interact with, you know, congressmen and senators and and a, a lot of guys who have been established pundits and things for for a very long time and they just keep talking like the system is working right like it, it's like you it's like going to an auto mechanic and being like my car is on fire and every time like i i, I you know i put the gas pedal down 
flame shoots out the back and like if he, it's gonna throw a rod and like everything is and they're like but have you tried preventative maintenance have you considered changing the oil from time to time i'm like no you don't understand like you know the the the, the drive shaft has fallen out like the you know the, like like the, the gearbox is shot like the, like i have serious problems with this car like obviously the issue is not a tune-up and they're just like but have you considered filling it with a better type of gasoline? Like, I, like every time I have these conversations, they act like there's just some small procedural issue. Like, you know, if we just got to you know, win a few primaries, man, primary a few guys and or make sure that you go ahead and, and you know, we, maybe we pass one law, one bill. You know, we've got we to swap out a, a couple of guys over at the State Department. Problem solved. And it's like, I just... I just stare at them and I look at what's going on and I just how I, I understand like there's a, a level of investment in the system, right? And if you've been working in the system for decades and your entire life has been about telling people that you're just one election away or you know, one piece of legislation away, or a little, little bit of little bit of you know, shoelace, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps away from from solving this whole problem. I get that like at some point saying the whole system has failed and it's on fire and we, we're, we're in serious trouble, like has some kind of repercussions for like what you've been doing for the last 20 or 30 years. But come on, man, like who's buying this at this point? Oh, well, I mean, if the Nevada primary was any example, apparently like 80 some percent of the voters there are, are buying this and saying that it's a totally OK thing. I mean, not that, that I'm a, a democracy respecter or democracy appreciator in these parts. Lord knows that I'm not. But it does indicate that most people don't care. I, I mean, I think this is the very sort of serious realization that most people need to come to. This is that unless it's perfect, you know, unless I think the reason why the left loves that meme, why does it, if does, why does this affect you personally or how does it affect you personally? Uh, it's an application to them because these things don't bother them because they're in the right client class. They do not care that things are being ran allegedly by someone who has no memory whatsoever because for them, it, it, it doesn't matter. And the people that vote for him have no long-term memory of nation or person. They just need to maintain the system of political patronage that there is. And so far, the administrative state and the federal government are making a really good job of making sure that that still happens. And so, yeah, maybe it's the fact that we have this like dynamic where someone has to say they're not surprised and someone feels like they're taking crazy pills. But uh, the, the crazy pill aspect of it is, is that the country is still running as effectively that it is. And that should speak to the robust system of the American government. And all the more reason why it would be great for those Project 2025 guys to take the reins instead, these crazy people. But at, at the end of it all, you're, you're looking at, again, a lack of uh, mental acuity and faculties by the President of the United States, to the surprise of no one. A really great insurance card right in his pocket, and that insurance card is the Vice President of the United States. And there is no one to really primary challenge him. I mean, there's no one really running against him. There's like, what, Marion Williamson and, and, and Dean Phillips, and many states have already canceled their primaries anyway. If they wanted to get rid of him, I mean, the, the convention would be the way to do it for the 2024 election. But that seems very late in terms of legal paperwork on how to do that. So uh, we're stuck with this guy. But again, that was the playbook in 2020. And if everything's going to repeat itself right down to the same teams who are in the Super Bowl then yeah, like let's have a repeat where the Democrats just need Joe Biden's corporeal form crossing the finish line once again.
It does not matter that he can't remember the year that his son died. It doesn't remember that he can't remember the church he got the rosary from. It doesn't matter that the president of Egypt is now all of a sudden the president of Mexico. Uh, the things that this administration is going to accomplish regardless of, they'll just keep pumping him full of drugs, uppers, and whatever to keep it going. And the sad state of affairs is, is that you can say that the emperor has no clothes, but the rest of the crowd doesn't even care. So let's talk about that press conference real quick, but more importantly, what it means. I mean, the press conference is is basically a joke. Like you said, he gets up there, he mixes up the names of world leaders. He goes ahead and he's going to prove, oh, how dare they say that I've forgotten these things about my son? How could they possibly say that I've forgotten the, you know when my son died or how he died or all these things? Obviously, I remember all of these things and I remember them so well that I remember I got this you know rosary from. And then he just moves on like obviously this this press conference is a complete disaster it kind of proves everything it's intended not to prove yeah this is a man who's been talking about how he was speaking to dead world leaders for the last few weeks obviously after you have this kind of report coming out the worst possible thing you could do is step onto a stage and immediately show that everything in the report is correct and so there's only two options here right there, there are, well possibly three but there are two main options your options are one, they wanted to get rid of him. And the poll point was to put this, uh, the show on to force him out there to make it clear this has to be done. So they have a plausible reason to take him out without being mean or anything. It's just, oh, old Uncle Joe, he did his time. He kept Orange Man bad out of the office, but obviously it's time for him to ride off into the sunset. Or two, as you pointed out, we now have media reports that they had this report for a week. They felt it exonerated him. They felt this was a good look for him. They had a week to prepare for it coming out. And they actually put him out there on purpose because they thought that this was the best way to rebut what was going on. And people are really just that inept at this point. Or the third thing is they just don't care. They think they're so powerful that none of this can possibly affect them. I saw a lot of people jumping on the first one. They said there's no way Joe Biden could possibly be put back on the ticket after this this is a significant enough disaster where we need to start speculating is it michelle obama is it gavin newsom are they crazy enough to try to run kamala harris all kinds of speculation about that but i gotta be honest at this point i really want to chalk it up to ineptitude i i seriously want to say there's just no one at the helm and they thought that this was enough and as you pointed out, their entire strategy last time was to hide Joe Biden in a basement and run against Donald Trump. And that's basically their same strategy this time around. And they just went ahead and ran him out there anyway, because they can't imagine a world in which they actually lose this thing. Yeah, I, I mean, that really seems to be the case. I mean, I, I think when people do, oh, it's either malice or incompetence. I mean, it can be both. Yeah. You know, I, I would never... <laughs> Never, never underestimate the power of saying, Por qué no los dos? Yes. like, why not? Do, why not do both like the old El Paso commercials? Because it is both of a large extent, uh, whether, of course, let, let us not forget just a few short months ago, we were laughing at the fact that the strange, bald, queer man was the one stealing luggage and dresses and was working with nuclear waste and whatnot uh, in this administration or that we replaced um, one woman for now a. a a, a crazy, you know, Haitian uh, girl boss secretary, press secretary that is an absolute moron. I mean, 
yes, there's some incompetency on the front facing side of things. Uh, and in the back foot, I, again, you know, they're still running things and they're still doing things and conducting their policy, both at home and abroad and doing what they can to stay afloat and try and put pressure wherever this administration wants to do it. And you have to say this administration, you can't say Biden, because once right. you put a name to it, sure, you're, you're thinking one guy when we know that there's this monstrous behemoth of bureaucrats, executive officials, staffers, congressmen, and so on that are all on board to keep this going where it's at. I mean, you know, and this was all, this was an unannounced, you know, event, uh, you know, that this wasn't on the president's itinerary that day until I think they said 10 or 15 minutes before he was supposed to go up there. Like it was a very recent addition to talk about the the news headline that, I mean, this was a direct response to the report coming out Everyone pointing out the obvious that this man has no brain, you know, uh, everywhere in empty bliss, everywhere beyond Joe Biden. He's not there anymore. He's gone. He's, he's necromancing. He's, he's talking to Francois Mitterrand, who's been dead for like 20 plus years. And I wanted gonna... to post a Shang Tsung meme as soon as he was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Right. And, it's, and I think someone had this great tweet. I wish I remember who said it. it's like, no, 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 no. He is communicating with the dead. It's the dead trying to drag him to the underworld. Right. It's time he, he's for so him. close to the veil. It's he's so thin so, that so he can close. reach across. Like yeah. they're just they're just dragging him across. Like, come, right. come. Come towards the end of the tunnel, Biden. Your your time has come. Um, and uh, depart from me. I do not know you, Joe Biden. And he doesn't matter because he doesn't know him either. But it's it's. I don't know what else you really can say other than like it's just further confirmation that we live in a absolute nightmare where the president has no brain, which we already knew, and that bureaucrats are running everything. Any semblance of democracy died in 2020. You could argue it died much earlier in this country. And that here we are facing the consequences of that. And we're all supposed to play pretend like everything is normal. We're all going to go watch the Super Bowl this Sunday. We're all going to go vote on Super Tuesday. Yeah, man, we're all going to go vote November. Vote harder, guys. Get those primaries out there. We're going to remember like, that's the real political solution, an empty yeah. gesture of filling out something in a box. And everyone's talking about all oh, like everyone disagrees with him. Everyone from, uh, you know, Michael Rappaport, who hates well, hates Trump, hates also in his demographic of voters. And then all of a sudden he's like, I'm not voting for Joe Biden. I'm not doing this. It does raise an interesting question to see this media heel turn because I mean, slate, you know, today, oh, will Joe Biden suffer politically saying his brain doesn't work? Uh, the Guardian, Biden was in a fighting mood for a surprise speech, but he didn't win. The president insisted he had put the country back on his feet, but a last minute fumble provided more fodder for his distractors. Like, even the left wing press, even the establishment press is like, who? Um, yeah. yeah, I want yeah. to get into the, the media heel turn with you in a second, because that that is the big question for me. But before we do, guys, I need to tell you about your absolute moral duty to hire based people through New Founding. Hey, guys, I need to tell you about today's sponsor, New Founding Talent. Look, we all know that the job market is a disaster right now. Based people can't find good companies to work for and good companies can't find anybody to get the job done. The competency crisis is very, very real. So how do we get these two incredibly important groups together? We need organizations like New Founding. New Founding has created a network of high excellence professionals who are seeking to join grounded American businesses. These are individuals often in elite organizations who are ready for a team and a mission that supports their values instead of working against them. Aligned companies are already using this network to hire high trust, exceptional individuals who can match the culture and mission 
of their teams. So if you're looking for better employees to build a better world, you need to go ahead and apply for access to the New Founding Talent Network at newfounding.com backslash talent. You'll get connected with candidates who will build your business. That's newfounding.com backslash talent. Check it out today. Yeah, so the thing I wanted to ask you about was, obviously, we know uh, that... Obviously, we know that there's this desire by some people to replace him, but we feel like he's probably going to get to go ahead and run that that doesn't seem likely. But the media heel turn is pretty weird if they're not planning to replace him. Right. Like that. That's a very clear signal that I mean, that we've heard this from people. Uh, There's been drips and drabs of this. There are people who have been talking about how his cognitive decline could be an issue, how that could affect the election how it's very clear that he's like losing a step here and that maybe it's time to think about that. There, there's been some rumbling, but it's very clear in the last day. I mean, it's hard unless you've just, you, if you just blinded yourself rather physically as a, as a journalist to what's going on, that, that if you don't mention something about how Biden is probably inept, you're going to look foolish. You're going to look ridiculous for not even bringing this up. There were a, a few journalists that tried to do this. There was like an, NBC guy who is just like, no, he's fine. He's great. That lost a step at all. I think there was one, one article that his age is actually his strength. I forget which, which uh, insane outlet uh, brought that out, but it was a rather mainstream one. But, uh, but you have to wonder if you have this media hill turn, does that lean uh, credence to the idea that they are actually looking to replace him here? I mean, would they let the, the, the press go hog wild like this? If it was, if they were planning to keep him in place? I mean, that it raises an interesting question. I think to some extent it was a genuine reaction to his performance. And I, and I say this because I heard the news that he was going to have this, uh, this press conference. I went to my phone. I was scrolling through YouTube to find like a live news source that was covering it. And I was listening to some local DC channel affiliate, you know, just talk about it. And they said, you know, we don't, we normally don't get surprise press conferences like this because they're usually, um, about historical or wartime ma- matters. And they had the audacity to like compare and like hype this up to Barack Obama's press conference in 2011 when he had announced the death of Osama bin Laden. Like it was a real hype man moment. And I was like laughing at my phone. I was like, you've got to be shitting me, right? Like this is this is not what's happening here. He's this is a response to the uh to the the special counsel's report because there's just no way you look at that and don't think to yourself. You have to you have to get out ahead of this. You have to defend yourself, and um, that and that's exactly what it was. So I think to some large extent, this is the organic, dare I say, journalistic reaction to listen. We're we're in your camp. We're team yes men. We're team sycophant. But like, as as a lot of lefty irony bros like to say, yikes, it's not a good look for you, bro. And I mean, it did not help that. Biden's attempt to act sad, whether it was with over the rosy over the rosary and couldn't even say, you know, where the, the rosary was from our lady of, and then he like, you know, pauses out the, the, the confusion, the, you know, anger that he's got. I mean, anyone who has seen someone get older and, and get worse in their mental faculties, that anger is usually due to confusion. And it, None of this is what's being said again. Nothing new under the sun here. But it's just, if they get rid of him, 
maybe after they carry things over in 2020 and then some weird shenanigans happens where he dies, but it looks like Kamala Harris is still on the ticket for vice president. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you we won't we won't we won't find out until the convention, right? And so I guess any postulation or speculation you and I have, I mean, we might have to wait until the the DNC convention this year, which is in um, Chicago, and it's going to be um, this uh, this July. So we may have to wait, you know, four more months to figure out what the actual truth of the matter is going to be, because conventions are where the president is officially nominated. So anything from now until you know July could technically happen. But again, there's so much paperwork and legality stuff to work with here. Uh, Lord only knows what's going to happen. Yeah, Americans are used to a very orderly procession of kind of media calls and things that lead you up to the point where the president is formally nominated. A lot of people get very you know, antsy whenever people try to look into what are the procedures where there be nomination or, you know, the actual, uh, you know, the actual presidential election itself and its confirmation uh, with electors. Obviously we see what happened with, with the attempt to look at alternative slates of electors and everything that they're attempting to scream at people about with that. So it would be interesting if they, you know, with, with their focus on the need for proceduralism and all of that, it would be very strange for them to wait until the convention bypassing all of that stuff. I mean, again, I guess they can just say, well, we do whatever we want. We don't care. And you know, we, you'll, you'll just swallow this, but it would seem if you're going to make this move, if you feel like this is the move to make, it feels like you would make it before the convention. You wouldn't wait till the convention itself. Uh, once all of the, all the procedure that's supposed to kind of insulate the democratic process has already passed uh, to make that move. However, this isn't the only thing I wanted to talk to you about. Other thing I wanted to talk to you about, of course, was uh, the interview. Uh, we've had Tucker Carlson in Russia. A number of people had you know, spotted him in Russia. They were speculating on this interview with Vladimir Putin. It's not the first time that Tucker has attempted to interview Vladimir Putin. Uh, according to Tucker, that, that interview was quashed previously by the American government uh, due to a number of things, including spying on his own text messages by intelligence services. Uh, this time he was able to go ahead and get that done and he dropped it first on his on his news networks website and then onto Twitter. It's very interesting. The, the media reaction, I think, is the most boring part. They all scream that he's a traitor. Of course they did. Like they can talk to every world leader as long as the Republicans in the White House uh, and they hate the Republicans. The minute it's, you know, it's the other way around talking to, you know, Vladimir Putin is treason. Um, th th that's not the surprising part to me. What was interesting, I think, most about this interview was that contrast you were talking about. Joe Biden can barely remember where he is. He doesn't remember when he was president. He doesn't know the names of world leaders. Vladimir Putin starts the whole interview with 30 or 40 minutes of Russian history, uh, which is kind of interesting because I started listening to, to a podcast about some of the uh, the Russian revolution that started with some of that interest, uh, some of that his history. So I was, I was familiar with that in a way that I hadn't been previously but he started with this long explanation of russian history as to why he felt that there was some kind of uh, reason that russia had claimed to portions of the ukraine and tucker carlson obviously is just like oh man americans are they're not going to listen to all this like this isn't going to make sense to them they're, they're not going to pay attention he's almost trying to hustle him along during this whole thing and i had a hard time you know you know i'm thinking to myself like yeah, Putin, you probably would have had a better time making some kind of analogy to a Marvel movie. Like this is like the time that uh, that Thor battled blah 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 and this is that that's why we have a 
a claim on Ukraine. That probably would have meant more to most Americans, uh, unfortunately, than than a long history of of you know your possible claims to Ukrainian territory. Well, I mean, that's what the uh, Ukrainians and the NATO Twitter account have done. I mean, they've made every pop culture comparison that they can and throughout the stake of this entire conflict in order to get things going out towards um, their specific propaganda machine. And I mean, this is something that uh, President Putin had made a point saying that, you know, America really is the master of propaganda, which uh, is inevitably true, I think, to a large extent. I mean, Americanized internet trends and English is the lingua franca of the internet world. I mean, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Conscious Caracol, I use the story all the time, but when he's, you know, in, in, in the middle of downtown and he sees someone that looks just like him as a South African, as a boar, and all of a sudden he is speaking in perfect Americanized English over the phone, that's an impressive amount of cultural hegemony. And mm. so, I mean, yeah, for us, we're, we're used to everyone sort of catering to our needs. We need to have things broken down to us uh, people living in the imperial heartland on what on earth is actually going on and explain it to me like I'm someone who's like a really big Marvel you know, fan. Like that, we expect that. I mean, that was sort of the running joke that even the Iranians had when uh, General Soleimani was killed, right? They're like, who do we kill? SpongeBob, Spider-Man, what? And you laugh at that, but it does illustrate that America does have what, and I forgive me for invoking this name, but you know what the great uh, leftist writer Gore Vidal said, you know, that uh, America is sort of the United States of amnesia. We've, we have a limited sense of our own history and to a large extent, a limited sense of our own youth as a nation. So I think maybe that's why so many people were blown by that because who's the last time a, a statesman or someone trying to run for president would speak like this. The last time I can think of anybody um, was, uh, the uh, 1992 election, all of the chats with Ross Perot, uh, you know, saying, here's how we're going to fix the country. These are my plans. And he would bring out like the scale and all of the, the wonderful charts and graphs yeah. that he had pointed out and what was going to be done. And that was, you know, that was still different for, that's the last time I can think of it. And that was before I was born. And so it really does indicate, yeah, there's this huge cultural divide. I mean, we have movies about products, Oren. I mean, Movies about Flaming Hot Cheetos and Air Jordans. And I think of those as movies that help, quote unquote, Americanize the new population of immigrants that are here. Because remember, you live in an economic zone, not a country. So you have to learn the history of the product and the history of the sports star and not Daniel Boone or Johnny Appleseed or Paul Bunyan or any actual mythical or real hero of the United States' history. And so I think that's why everyone in the West has been praising, you know, witnessing a president give an interview like this where he spends 40 minutes discussing a historical narrative for his people. And remember, once you base things in history, once you tell a narrative, once you tell a story like that, you're giving credence to your claim. It makes excellent narrative spending. It makes for an excellent bit of propaganda. Um, you know, I, I had to laugh when, you know, he was saying that Poland was complicit with, uh, you know, uh, the Reich in World War II, because I'm currently going through Sean McMeek and Stalin's War. I have the whole book series going through, breaking it down chapter by chapter, if people are interested. And it's just like, wait a second, you know, the Soviet Union is not uh, peachy keen, squeaky clean here. Like, excuse me, sir. But it, it allowed you to see sort of the Russian post-war mythology and the post-Soviet mythology that followed. And um, I, I think that's why so many commentators and pundits have been so taken away by this, because 
you know, we don't have anyone in the West that is willing to sit down and defend their stakes or their identity based on history. I mean, outside of the American right, who cares about history, that cares about nation and people and where that location is physically located, you know, I, I think that's why it had such a big impact on people. Just just to uh, to kind of drop people into the 10th circle of hell here. Um, when I when I uh, when I taught, uh, I taught I taught at some some bad schools. And uh, when I taught history, you know, we had these games that were kind of like Jeopardy games uh, and you, you have the kids do them and you, know, you throw a fun one in you know, on Friday or something just to keep the kids interested. So, so they'll, they'll pay attention to what you're doing. And, you know, they, they can't do the history ones. If you do one on like Christmas, they don't know anything about like, you know, the, the story of Christmas. They, they can't tell you about Bethlehem or, or, or anything in there. They don't know any of that stuff. But if you do company logos, they love it and they know every single one. They, 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 they're, they absolutely lose their minds and go. Uh, so that, that is the amount of common culture you have uh, tie, tying most of America together at this point. Um, however, yeah, I think you're right that it, it was very interesting that a lot of people would have would have looked at this and been very confused as to why they felt this was a, a legitimate argument. A lot, I saw a lot of people just like, oh, a history lesson. Like, how is this? As if there, there was you know, like they just don't understand what nation state. Yeah, you know, that a nation state and a kingdom and and how territories used to be understood and and peoples and how these things used to cross many of these borders and that all of these borders that have been erected in the last 50 or 60 years are not new, new, but are, are not, you know, necessarily binding. A lot of people don't consider them binding, but what did you think about uh, kind of Putin's argument there? I mean, ba basically his, his two pronged argument was look, there are these color revolutions and you're trying to get NATO onto our doorstep and we didn't want, you know, we don't want that here, but you kept pushing it anyway. And then the other kind of prong of this was the historical argument of, you know, why we feel we have, a uh, claim our 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 uh, our culture and our people kind of extend to this area. Do you think that because Tucker's response was basically, okay, well, why didn't you make this argument years ago? It feels like you're making this now, but you you didn't lay this case out significantly previously. What what do you think about kind of that exchange? Yeah, the the two pronged argument: one, the historical narrative, and then the sort of argument that you would hear from someone like John J. Mearsheimer that there has been increasing encroachment closer and closer towards former uh, Russian buffer states or a Russian sphere of influence. Uh, to me, it reminds me so much of, and to some extent, like American foreign policy, I guess, and to some extent, Russia's as well as like frozen. In like the turn of the night, turn of the twentieth century, where we're still talking about things like Mackinder and Speakman and like the World Island Theory and the Great Game between like you know the the U.S. versus Russia or the United Kingdom versus Russia and Great Britain and what we're going to do about it, despite the fact that the tools of empire have drastically changed. Um, but we're still speaking in those terms and we're still looking at the world that way, which I think is one really interesting considering the rhetoric that. Putin was using but two uh I mean the the history stuff I, I'm not sure who that was for other than to sell the story to fact checkers and to which I know the BBC has already done and has laid out its issues with Putin's claims but again you know he's sitting down and giving them a sort of civilizational ethnically nationalist minded narrative about the people and who we are and that 
you know, the, the Americans don't particularly understand that um, this is a region and a people and a country and a civilization. Very Samuel P. Huntington, mind you, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, we've been around since like the, the turn of the 8th century. And we're, we're not going away. And here we are. And we have claims to this part of the world. Um, and I know that there are counter arguments and there's history to, to claim the whole Kievan Rus thing being a whole different, you know, Ukrainians existing as well, though he views that as fiction. Um, it was just, I, I'm not too sure what to make of it other than to say that historiography makes for a great narrative. It makes for a great political formula to sell to both your own people at home, but more specifically abroad, because you're this interview, it, the Russians are going to watch it, sure, but that interview is in English. I mean, yes, it's translated on his side, and I'm sure Putin knows English, but he's speaking Russian as a flax. Mm-hmm. And he's doing what he needs to do to sell a narrative to people like you and I, to sell a narrative to the, the mainstream press and to the public. But uh, this far into the war, I, I think Tucker's question, well, why not use that sooner? And Putin says, well, it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, it doesn't matter now to some extent. I mean, the Biden administration isn't going to change its mind on yeah, Russia. Like, oh, Victoria, well. Victoria Newland is still has like a, a huge axe to grind and wants to kill hundreds of thousands of more Slavs to get her victory to have happen. So uh, it, it does raise the question of like, what, what was the point of this? But again, it, it sets the forth the political narrative because while American propaganda is stronger uh, Russian propaganda is real. It does exist. They're, you know, they did, you know, you can laugh at Facebook memes or whatever, but Russia does well in areas in which like the regime, the United States government has to like now take care of or sweep under the rug. Like, oh great. Now they're trying to talk to the quote unquote far right MAGA extremists. Like it, it feeds in to the progressive feedback loop where it'll probably hurt, um, you know, to some extent our own causes potentially more than anything else. But I, I don't know where else to go with that, to be honest with you, Oren. Another thing that he did that I found interesting was he focused a lot on a denazification uh, storyline. He said, oh, well, we have to go into Ukraine to prevent these neo-Nazis. If we, you know, we, we stand against this. And so we have a duty, uh, you know, to go in there and disrupt any, any attempts to revivify, you know, this, this uh, Nazi ideology. And so that's the reason that we kind of have this uh, this cause of spell to go in there and, and interrupt and uh, take take a strong hand into that nation in time. I found that interesting because that's exactly what our government says, as you know, Biden calling his opponents semi-fascist. This is, you know, Paul Gottfried, of course, has the, the you know, anti-fascism, uh, you know, and explaining how this is basically the the crusade that that rules the United States at this point. And this is the ideological justification for this what do you think about the universality that you know you've got vladimir putin and you've got joe biden and they've got the same legitimizing ideology as to why they need the power to constantly interrupt you know whether they be other countries or the people of their own country we have to purge you know the the denazification you know it's as tucker pointed out this is you know 80 years later or more like what's why is this still what is this? Why is this still so powerful? Why is this something that that even somebody like Putin would reach for when he says, "Oh, of course I have a reason to go in Ukraine." I mean, at least, at least there's, I guess, actual neo Nazis there. But well, uh, on the surface, yeah, the, there is a lot of similarities. You know, you have what they would call the Great Patriotic War. We refer to that generation who fought in the war as the Greatest Generation, and that you know we both have huge post-war narratives and mythologies about how that war was fought 
and why we got involved and that despite the fact that you know we we think that we we only fought a war against germany we were also the biggest reason why the united states was the biggest reason to invest fund support subsidize the soviet union the reason why stalin became so powerful in the first place with respect to modernization and the money that we had plus fdr's admin was full of communists and mm -hmm. that's an unfortunate tragedy of our history so, I mean, on one hand, they are very different. I mean, throughout that entire narrative, there was no condemnation of, of Bolshevism. I mean, Putin does have, I mean, there was, let me correct myself. He does have issues with Bolsheviks in there. It did sound like there was uh, almost personal animosity. But I mean, even during the World War II narrative, the Soviet Union did nothing wrong, despite things like the Katyn massacre where, you know, 20,000 some odd Poles were just executed outright. Um, by Stalin, you know, on Stalin's order. Uh, and, you know, again, it's why people need to read the books Stalin's War by Sean McMeekin. It's so good. But I mean, like our, our post-war mythologies are very different to where to, to a large extent, even though there are actual neo-Nazis in Ukraine, um, you know, denazification or, or, you know, trying to stomp out these uh, nationalist movements, as he had called it, nationalism, neo-Nazism, fascism. Uh, to some extent, I think it's also just viewed as this blanket term of just like anti-Russian or anti-Russian state in, in that perspective in the same way that, you know, we would call nationalism or like white supremacy in America, just like anti-American, um, despite the fact that there's really nothing American about this regime anymore. And so, I mean, on the surface level, there's some comparisons, but I thought it was particularly interesting to hear an argument that like we see fascism, we see this as a threat to our existence. And I mean, Let's be very clear. I mean, fascism did almost destroy the Soviet Union during World War II. I mean, that has to leave a huge civilizational scar on the people. And it serves probably as a great narrative tool and framing to justify this sort of attack. You know, political formulas sell you the justification for state action to you know, rip from our elite theorists that we, we love to cite and read so much. So, I mean... It does illustrate that they have their own way to do it. But yeah, sure, Hitler's been dead for 80 years. But as ironically, Curtis Yarvin pointed out, we're still ruled by the guy because we're still afraid of him. The, the, the West and the East isn't haunted by Marx or anyone like that. They're haunted by Hitler. So I think you're right that at the end of this, it feels like there's not a whole lot that changes. It's interesting that Tucker was able to do this, the type of pushback that he got from the regime is pretty much what we expected. And despite uh, Putin making this kind of historical argument, I don't think that's going to sway anybody really one way or the other. So I guess the question is, is there anything else that we should have taken from this? Or is this all just kind of a nothing burger after all of this? I I'm not too sure how much of a nothing burger it can be. I mean, this interview has, what, over 130 million views on Twitter, and that's just from the, the Tucker Carlson tweet alone. Who knows about all their additional sources that have reported on it? And it it's on the... While it's one of the smaller social media platforms, it is arguably the most important because this is where the quote unquote discourse happens. Whereas you famously know, um, today's tweets can be read out by Tucker Carlson later that afternoon on Fox News when he was still on the air. You famously had that happen to you. And so it does illustrate that I think to some extent there's there's probably a victory in it for him somewhere. I mean, obviously we're talking about the interview. Your audience is going to hear about the interview and people want to know what does that really mean? Uh, I mean, I'm no George Kennan. I'm not a Russian expert by any extent of the imagination. But 
Uh, I think the fact is, is that there are talking points in there that are now going to be used by conservatives to some extent, maybe even in Congress or someone like J.D. Vance that will cite these things. And then all it will take is some Democrat to censor them or Biden to call them traitorous as we already expect them to do so. We've already seen Thomas Massey be called an anti-Semite by like David Frum and the other neoconservatives because he wants to fund America and not places like Israel and Ukraine. And so... Uh, I, I feel like we're going to get more of the same. So maybe a nothing burger, but I think only time will tell. It's it's going to be the follow through. We are literally reacting less than 24 hours after the interview came out. Yeah, and I'm, I I hear you that obviously the reach of the interview is insane. Like the the raw numbers uh, from kind of just, just that one tweet, like you said, is wild. And so I'm not saying that there isn't any kind of impact on the psyche, but but, but just that it's not going to immediately impact any, you know, any actions taken. I don't, I don't think there's like a, an aha moment that comes from people listening one way or the other for a lot of people criticize Tucker for, for involving himself in the interview, but I think he handled it well. I think it was clear that Putin was kind of in control to some extent in that interview, but Tucker made sure to keep his questions always challenging. They were always on point. They were, none of it was, you know, was none of him was giving undue deference to to putin and any of that and so i think i think he pretty much did his job of having that conversation and hearing the other side of things without uh you know without embarrassing himself or making him a tool of, of another another country that kind of thing the way that some people had scared that he would be yeah i mean he did get called out with respects to the to the, the cia, CIA yeah, and things like that funny. to me i mean if anyone has seen the oliver stone uh putin interviews from a few years back you got actually a lot of the same mm. um when it came to administrations you know it's not so much presidents it's about the secret services it's about the intelligence and the people with briefcases and suits although he did allude to getting better along with people like donald trump and george w bush than he did yeah it was interesting how much colleagues. he seemed to like george bush but yeah well, you know, they, they seem to have a much better relationship up until towards the end in 2008 for a, a myriad of reasons. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was interesting that Trump was never really named at all outside of that relationship thing. But he did, you know, name drop the whole, uh, um, you know, Supreme Court battle that's happening right now over whether or not a state can call Trump an insurrectionist and take him off the ballot. So and that's something that also happened this week as well. It's been a crazy week in terms of the news. But uh, again, this this could be this could turn into a nothing burger. I mean, like the the Trump mugshot went viral, and then everyone just forgot about it like a week later. So this yeah. could be something like that, where oh, you know, like yeah, there was the Tucker Putin interview thing, and but I mean, the war's still going to go on. There's still going to be arguments over when peace talks could have happened, and people are still going to be dying needlessly. The canonical Orthodox Church in Ukraine is still going to be persecuted to no end. And America is still going to be trying to spend billions of your tax dollars trying to fund a war that is only going to get more people killed that uh, doesn't serve any tangible beneficial interest to people like you and me. So I, I, I think the nothing burger is a very safe bet. The, the nothing happening gang seems yeah, to have a, a pretty good track record. So there. Far. Yeah. Well, yeah, don't don't forget, guys, that, uh, you know, the Senate is now looking to approve that bill, uh, you know, that that strips all border funding out. So it's just money for Ukraine, Israel and, and Gaza now. Don't, yeah. don't worry. Your border is the very last thing that matters to the empire. Uh, every other country's border is far more important. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and pivot to the questions of the people. But before we do, Mr. Prudentialist, where should people be looking for your commentary on Solon's War and everything else that you do? 
<laughs> well, as always, Oren, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. People can find me over at findmyfriends.net slash the Prudentialist. I am on all podcast platforms, uh, Substack, YouTube, uh, Twitter, uh, Odyssey, all sorts of places that you can find me there. Just look for the wonderful frog in the profile picture. You'll find me there. I had a great conversation this week discussing the issue of, quote unquote, the PayPal mafia. So Silicon Valley's influence on American politics with our mutual friend, Matt Erickson, aka Kingpilled. I highly recommend people look into that. And then um, continuing next week, the uh, Sean McMeekin Stalin's War. If you want a, a new history of World War II, you want to understand how much you don't hate FDR enough and you don't hate Bolshevism and communism enough. I highly recommend that book. I've got several chapters out where friends and I have discussed reading through it. It's a fantastic book. Uh, and it's important for us to know our history. That way we aren't the United States of amnesia. And we do have a better understanding that the world is way older than you and I could ever imagine it really is. You don't hate Bolshevism enough. You think you do, but you don't. Is that you the, don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could say Bolshevism journalists. It's really the same thing these days. <laughs> Hard to argue. All right. So let's go to our questions here. Bill Bradley says, uh, take my Biden bucks while they're still worth something. Thank you. I appreciate you getting rid of those right before inflation makes them uh, nothing but a stack of paper. Very much appreciate it, sir. Uh, we have Deuce Boogaloo who says, Biden being brain dead makes him more popular with Dems. They want someone who will fall in line with the party. Nothing terrifies them more than the chance of a member type like cinema or Fetterman. Yeah, Andrew, hilarious that Fetterman has now uh, you know, awoken from his uh, from his brain injury. Uh, saying all kinds of things that they don't like. But yeah, no, there is a real, there is a very real truth to the fact that when you have this oligarchy that really wants to obfuscate all responsibility for what they're doing, Biden is the perfect fall guy because like, how can anyone get angry at him? He's just obviously a grandfather who can't remember where he, where he put his shoes. And at the whole time, all the people who are actually in charge, they can't actually be targeted. They can't be impeached. They can't lose an election. There's no actual repercussions. It's kind of just the perfect shell game for an incredibly regime, uh, corrupt regime that wants to make sure that there's no one in power who might actually have some level of charisma that that could steer the ship their own direction. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I mean, the last thing that they would they would want is Joe Biden to somehow be more brain damaged and somehow start making more sense. I mean, uh, this is why the meme about like Fetterman becoming retarded and he becomes more competent, like maybe a, a Senate full of them wouldn't be so bad. But Again, it does illustrate that you shouldn't be simping for brain dead Democrats. Yeah, just get get them through the brain injury and then to baseness is that was the strategy. But I don't Apparently. know. Apparently, I don't know if that works, though. Uh, JD four uh, one says Douglas McGregor was on Tom Woods podcast yesterday. It was great. I'm sure it was the great Tom Woods. I've been on there a couple times. Uh, McGregor is always interesting. He's always an interesting take. So I would definitely recommend checking out that conversation i haven't seen it yet but i think it's probably great i think you're right about that uh we've got deuce boogaloo again he says uh also i saw someone tweet that kamala was specifically chosen as a 25 25th amendment insurance for biden yeah many people have made that joke uh, that actually makes it even more sense uh than her being a diversity hire i'll say this i think she really was chosen i think they they wanted her uh you know she checks all the boxes i think they wanted to take her off the bench i think she was part of the farm team and it just became so clear that she is so incredibly inept that they just can't possibly run her. I don't think she was specifically chosen uh, to backstop Biden in the 25th, though. Uh, she she does have that effect now. 
Yeah, and I mean, technically, Joe Biden was also Barack Obama's insurance policy. I mean, <laughs> right. this is, and so so was Teddy Roosevelt. So I mean, vice presidents have been that's a long true. history of yeah. telling people, listen, you may hate me, but the guy that's my vice president is even worse. Well, it's supposed to take Roosevelt down to New York, right? That's the whole reason he gets. That was the plan, and then yeah. you know, McKinley gets yeah. whacked. So <laughs> always watch out for the anarchists. That's true. Yeah, that's true. All right. Uh, perspicacious heretic says. Uh, we've been one election away my whole life. You and me too, brother. You, you, you and me. I hear you. Me too, uh, kid. Me too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> some. I'm just waiting for something I'm exciting just, to happen. I'm I just, guess. I'm just growing the, the growing the beard. You know, <laughs> as that hat, as we're talking about it. Uh, Blel Bradley says the rumor is that when uh, Biden wins the primaries, his people will get him to re uh, release his delegates for Newsom. Again, like I know it's fun to speculate about all that, and who knows? Like we're we're so through the looking glass that anything's possible. But I do seriously doubt that we're going to see a switch uh, in the, in the actual uh, uh, in the actual convention. It, it would, it would be, it would be a very dangerous way to treat an already fragile system. But again, they're so inept and, uh, and, uh, and just sure of themselves simultaneously that that could be possible, but I am doubtful of that. Uh, anything I'm, i won't rule it out i think the odds are low but we'll have to wait till july in chicago yep darby dz says wild 24 hours we learn putin is just as autistic as our favorite twitter mutuals and the u.s president just held an emergency news conference to deny the finding he's essentially legally disabled and by the way he then confirmed it live on television which was my favorite yeah, that, part that was that was a, a great tweet by I think his name is like Chocolate Milk or whatever. You know, just holds an emergency news conference to deny the findings. He's essentially legally retarded, and it's just like, yep, I'll it's you know two you know, I don't want forty minute lecture on my nation's history versus I'm not that stupid, but I am. But so I mean the it was it was a, if we say optics matter and the optics game is real, uh, Biden failed the optics check. Roll the natural one. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Um, please collect coal and cringe, and let's get out of here. Speaking of good memes, the 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 Putin as the map gamer meme was great. Like all of them, yeah, like him spread out in front of his empire with the with the computer screen was. Yes, yes. The he he playing Europa Universalis four with Baron Trump over the internet that's what's happening <laughs> it's, it's how empires are forged uh Lovelar says uh, even my progressive friends hate kamala i think they'll run him even at uh even if at all costs left of biden is a brain in a jar with an electrical current yeah i, I really do think they're gonna run him amazingly enough as as just as insane as that sounds from everything we've seen uh, i mean guys you can't have clown world without clowns okay <laughs> that's all there is to it you can't you can't be in clown world if if the most absurd thing doesn't keep happening. He yep. also follows up and says the board of Biden's neurons has fall uh, is full confidence in his ability. Yeah, all, all twelve of them, all twelve neurons, right? Full vote of confidence. All right, guys. Well, we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up once again. Thank you everyone for coming by. Make sure you're checking out all of the Prudentialists' excellent work. If this is your first time watching this show, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe. Uh, to the channel make sure you turn on the notifications so that you know these streams are going live and of course if you'd like to watch these or rather listen to these broadcasts as podcasts make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the or mcintyre show on your favorite podcast platform when you do go ahead and leave a rating or review it really helps with the algorithm magic and of course if you would like to get some yourself or someone you love 
a book about the total state, make sure that you go ahead and uh, go ahead and pre-order uh, my book. You can do it on Amazon. You can do it at Barnes and Noble. You can do it at Books a Million. It's uh, the best Valentine's gift you can get. I mean, you got to like print out the thing that you pre-ordered, I guess, because it's not coming out till later. But I'm sure that I'm sure that the special person in your life would love to learn more about the total state. Thanks for watching, guys. And as always, I'll talk to you next time.